and welcome to Backyard Farmer. I'm Kim Todd and I'll be your host for another hour of good gardening. You can call us with your gardening questions at 1-800-676-5446 to speak to one of our phone volunteers. But if you'd rather send us an email with pictures for a future show, that address is byf at unl.edu. Please tell us where you live, give us as much information as you can so we can give you the best solution to your problem. So with that out of the way, let's start with some samples. And Kate, yours were trying to take over the desk earlier. Yes, and there's a spider trying to escape now too. So hopefully he doesn't jump around. <laughs> but um, we often plant milkweed because we know that it's a good host plant for monarch caterpillars. But it's also a great host plant for a lot of other insects as well. And these ones are large milkweed bugs because entomologists are very literal with the names they give things. Um, and you can kind of see them crawling all around. It's on my cup, but um, <laughs> these do feed on the milkweed plants. We often see them kind of aggregating on the pods. In particular, they might even get inside the pods if you start to see that cracking as it dries out, but they don't really harm the plant much. They're just one of the great insects that we can find on milkweed. All right, thank you very much. And the poor little spider is outnumbered. Okay, Terry, what do we have tonight? <clears throat> well, Matt and Rock have been bringing some not very nice, attractive things, so I thought I would bring something that was pretty. Um, so this is a penicetum. This is called redhead. This one is just starting to show off right now. It's in the backyard farmer garden, so if you come visit us there, you'd be able to see this. Um, it's one of the National Arboretum um, choices, so this is kind of one that's been tried um, throughout the uh, throughout the country, it gets to be oh, 36 to 40 inches tall, and it has a very nice domed look to it. But the one thing I'm going to tell you is that it will seed itself about. Uh, so if you can put it somewhere where you know you don't really care if it moves about, that's fine. But otherwise, you might be digging it up here and there. Right, just like the rest of those fountain grasses yep. are beginning to do. Okay, Dennis. Sure. A piece of furniture. Yes. This is a flying squirrel house. Flying squirrels are, a, in Nebraska, a very much a threatened species, almost endangered. And Nebraska, the extreme southeast corner of Nebraska, is the extreme northwest corner of their North American range of the southern flying squirrel. But in the last 10 years, we've been seeing them around Lancaster County. In fact, in December of 2021, we found four of them right here on East Campus. And so we're wanting people to build houses. And down there on your screen, you'll see the URL where you can get the plans to build a flying squirrel house. And you can put them up. We have 25 here on East Campus. Now, this is the house. This prevents bigger squirrels other than flying squirrels to use it. And this top part you won't build. This is a camera in here, so we can play Big Brother with all our flying squirrels and watch them all the time. <laughs> but the houses are here, the flying squirrels are here. Embrace them, love them, and build a house for them. I love it, Dennis. All right, Sarah, let's see if you can top that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, not as, not as active, at least. Um, during our plan of the week last week, I made a comment that the big leaf hydrangeas, the hydrangea macrophylla, don't 
sometimes don't do great in Nebraska. In fact, more than sometimes. Um, and it's not surprising when you think about where they're native. The, the big beef hydrangeas are native to Japan. Japan has acidic soil. They have humid conditions. They have moderate temperatures. You know, winters are down to like 23, summers maybe up to 95. Uh, and they have 67 inches of rain per year. So now think about Nebraska. We have clay soil that's often highly acidic or highly alkaline. Uh, we have um, dry conditions. Um, our temperatures can go into the single digits uh, in the winter and, you know, way up into the 90s or 100s uh, during the summer. Much, much drier than what, uh, what they experience in Japan. So um, what I had suggested last week was the panicled hydrangeas, which we, we had a sample of last week, the silver dollar panicled hydrangea. And I brought a couple of more for you to show you here. Now, these are also native to Asia, um, to Japan and eastern China, southern China. They have a wider host range and they're, they're adapted to a larger area. So panicled hydrangeas in general are, are hardy to about zone three, uh, which is much more cold hardy than we need them to be for, our, for us here in zone five. Um, and they're adapted to a, a wider range of soils. So this, this one in front is, uh, is a cultivar called Little Quick Fire. This one will get to be about three to four feet tall um, and has beautiful combination of this, the fertile flowers and then the sterile flower bracts. And this, this um, flower that's white is a young one. And as they age, the bracts turn pink, as you can see on the second flower. This other sample is a taller uh, cultivar of panicle hydrangea called Phantom. This one gets to be about, I think upper, upper height range is about 10 feet, but I think in Nebraska it'll probably be more like eight. Um, so this one I'm using as a screen uh, in my backyard. If you want to, to learn more about panicled hydrangeas, a great place to go would be the Proven Winners website. So just Google Proven Winners, search for panicled hydrangeas. There are many, many more to choose from. Limelight is a very popular one in the trade right now, but there are lots and lots of others, and they're much easier to grow. All right, thanks, Sarah. First set of questions uh, go to you, Kate. Uh, and the first one comes to us actually from the Fort Calhoun area. His real question is he's noticed all these bumps on the leaves of his oak. What are they and are they harmful? So these are galls caused by a midge, which is a type of small fly. Jody likes to call them coffee bean galls because they look like coffee beans. Um, but galls on trees in general, they're more of just like an aesthetic thing. They're kind of unsightly, but most of the time they don't cause overall harm to the tree. If you really don't like them, you can try to prune kind of heavily infested twigs or leaves out, but otherwise you can just leave it be. All right, uh, two pictures on the next one. This one comes to us from Papillion. He says, little bits of white fluff on the grass blades, and then he realized it was coming from a 20-year-old oak. Are these woolly aphids, and if so, what do you recommend? Yes, they are woolly aphids. Um, since the oak tree is older, it's going to be fairly difficult to actually treat for the aphids. If the tree itself looks healthy, um, you don't really need to do anything. That first picture, those little black insects are actually lady, lady beetle larvae. So they're providing a service in eating the aphids. Um, otherwise, as far as treatment, it's gonna be difficult to get up in that foliage, but there are systemic options as well if it gets pretty bad and causes damage. All right, thanks. Terry, you have uh, one picture for the first one. This comes to us from uh, Thayer County Bruning. 
Please identify this weed and how you can kill it without hurting the juniper. And I, I know we've had a lot of back and forth in the emails on this. Sarah, I think you weighed in on this one too. Uh, so this is burr cucumber. Um, this is gonna be a little bit of a challenge, especially where it's at. Burr cucumber has one of, actually one of the larger seeds that we normally talk about, you know, a big seed bank from, from weed seeds. This one doesn't have a huge seed bank. But the seeds can go down and stay down for about four and a half years for at, at least six inches and, and germinate from that deep. If you can pull that off as best you can, um, that would be best to be able to save that juniper. And then if you, you most likely will need to do two pre-emergence and then most likely a post-emergent uh, once you start seeing those start coming up. So that's really going to be the best options for you in that situation. Kudzu of the north. All right. Sure. So <laughs> you have uh, two pictures on the next one. This comes to us uh, from Plattsmouth. She has a couple vines taking over the lilacs. She does think one is wild grape and wonders how to get rid of that one. So, yeah. So you have um, actually three here. Mm -hmm. There's... Um, uh, the wild grape was the first picture, and then you have honey vine milkweed, which is kind of that lighter limey green one with the heart-shaped leaves, and then you have Virginia creeper. So the Virginia creeper, if you want to get rid of that, and then the, um, the grape, what you'll need to do is you need to cut those down. They're going to be more of a woody, so you'll need to cut them at the base and then paint that with like a stump killer of some kind. Most likely it's going to take you a couple treatments. And then the honey vine milkweed, just pull and don't let it go to seed and make sure that you um, get as much out, of, much out of the area as possible. All right, thanks, Terry. Dennis. Yes. <laughs> Your first uh, question has two pictures and this is, something is taking uh, the tomatoes off the vine. This is from Crofton. And a neighbor does feed the wildlife, so he's, he's wondering, about this one, he's used hair, he's used some other things. And then the second one also, I, I mean, between the two, he's got tomato eaters and he's got uh, pear eaters. All the, all the pears are being pecked away and then they leave the kefir pears alone, apparently. Yeah, I don't know about the pears, but the tomatoes, and so not only is your neighbor feeding the wildlife, you are too, mm -hmm. um, whether you want to or not. And it's a squirrel most likely, and it could be a ground squirrel or a tree squirrel if they're stashing or moving the food. Things like voles and small rodents like mice, they will eat it in place. Um, but if it's being stashed, and by the mouth parts here, it, it's almost gonna probably be a 13-line ground squirrel. Um, and most repellents do not work. So it's gonna be, a, matter of exclusion as much as possible. So you're gonna to have to exclude, and um, you can do that with wire or netting over before they ripen, and that's the best way to do it. All right, and this is your next one. This comes to us uh, from Omaha, wondering why, what is eating the hosta, and is there anything they can keep sure. this from happening? It's slugs and snails. So we do have one snake that eats slugs and snails, and that's the brown snake. <laughs> You can encourage the cave's brown snake to enter your property and it will eat those slugs and snails that are eating your hostas. 
<laughs> I'm not sure that's a good trade-off. <laughs> All right. I think it is. <laughs> Sarah, uh, you have three pictures on this first one. Uh, this comes to us from Kimbleton, Iowa. Uh, sugar two sugar maples, six years old. The leaves are dying on the top. Starts on the top, then the new leaves come out and die. So can we explain what's happening here? And I think we have a couple more picks on this one, if I'm not mistaken. It's hard to be real exact without more information. It'd be nice to know uh, how the, the lower part of the trunks of these trees look. There could be some planting issues. Um, I'm, I'm just going to say, I think probably drought is one of the main effects on these trees, but I'm not sure if it's the only thing. Um, so... You might look at your watering. I noticed in the first picture that tree was growing in a field of, of brome. Brome is extremely aggressive, and it can make it hard for trees to grow on, in a brome turf. All right, and I think you have one more, and this comes to us from Fremont. This is a viewer who had an iris that finished flowering, and then here came the seed pod with seeds. She wants to know, can she start iris from seeds? You can grow them from seed. Um, these, these would be considered ripe seeds now since the pods have dried and opened. So put those on a growing media, put them somewhere where they will be cool in the winter. So we're looking at like, you know, temperatures kind of down into the 50, 55. You don't want to keep them at room temperature. Uh, keep them moist. They do take a long time to germinate. It may be up to a year. So you have to be, you have long-term planner for this. All right, thanks, Sarah. Well, for our first feature tonight, we're going to return to western Nebraska. Chrissy Land from the Nebraska Forest Service shows up some beautiful ornamentals in the Gearing Plaza. Here we are in Gearing, Nebraska at the Gearing Plaza, and we are going to look at some of the different plants that we've put in this garden. All of the plants are labeled so that way homeowners can come and look at the different plants and see what they might be interested in incorporating in their garden at home. Here I have next to me what is called a Gwen's Buffalo Currant and it uh, produces a nice little fruit. Um, it's actually quite sweet for a currant. Uh, of course they can still be a little bit tart but one of the reasons I love this plant is because it gives you all seasons of interest. It has the nice pretty blooms in the spring, you've got the fruit in the summer, and then towards the end of the summer and into the fall, the leaves will start turning this really pretty burgundy color, um, and man, they just have a nice pop show of color in the fall. And next to it, we have a spring magnolia, and for western Nebraska, magnolias are rare to find. Uh, this is a plant that was brought to us by one of our friends at the South Platte NRD uh, to trial in this garden. It is a zone three magnolia that is supposed to get about 20 feet tall and 20 feet wide. This plant's only about four years old, but man, it survived some really tough winters. We're excited to see what this plant is to become. And here we have Allium Millennium. It is one of my favorite plants. It blooms for a really long time. Uh, it's got a beautiful architecture flower to it. When it dries out, it still actually has a lot of interest. Um, they're great to let stand over the winter and let the snow fall on them and uh, get a little bit of winter interest out of them. They actually stay a little bit evergreen. And boy, do the pollinators absolutely love it. Um, highly recommended, long bloom period also. And another plant that we have here in the plaza that I want to highlight is the Pasque flower. This is a Nebraska native flower and it is the first flower to bloom in the spring here in the plaza. And it is a showstopper, big, beautiful pop of purple in the spring. Um, everybody loves it when it dries in the seed head. It looks a lot like a clematis uh, seed head and has a lot of interest. And then the rest of the year, it looks just like a nice little green mound of fern-like material. 
And finally, we're gonna look at one of our other shrubs and another tree. Uh, the shrub here next to me is a seven suns flower and they are not very commonly found in the far panhandle of Nebraska. We're really excited about this plant. It has been an absolute showstopper. It blooms really late in the season and it's got beautiful peely bark on it that you get to enjoy all winter long. And the tree that we have is a Rocky Mountain Glow Big Tooth Maple. And for Western Nebraska, maples can be kind of tough to grow. And so picking a maple that is native to the Rocky Mountain region is what's in our best interest. This tree is proving to do very well in this heavy clay soil and gearing, and we are excited to see what becomes of it. So next time you are out here in Western Nebraska, make sure that you check out the Gearing Plaza and all of the different plants that we have and all the plant labels that we have on them. So that way you can look at what might fit best in your garden at home. Really beautiful out there. We do hope if you live out there, you will also visit the plaza for some great ideas for your own garden. Kate, yeah. your first two pictures come to us from rural Tacoma. 30-foot little-leaf linden is covered with these aphids. What can be done? That's pretty black. Yeah, so um, the aphids are causing a secondary issue. Um, that's sooty mold that's growing on their honeydew. And while sooty mold itself isn't harmful to the tree, it can kind of block photosynthesis that's going on too. Um, because the tree is large and because it's a linden, you can't do um, systemic insecticides it's going to be really difficult to do any insecticidal treatment. Um, so if it's something where the tree looks healthy and it's not an issue year after year, maybe it's just something you keep an eye on, but if you continue to see aphid issues, you should probably contact an arborist to see what they can do to help. All right, one pick on the next one. Uh, this is from Burwell. She is wondering, what are those on these the base really cool. of the locust? Yeah, so these are the larvae and the pupae of reticulated netwing beetles. Um, the beetles are a very beautiful, striking um, orange and black color as they're adults. Sometimes they're confused for fireflies. But um, as they get ready to pupate from larvae, they'll actually aggregate in areas just like we see on this tree. Um, and there's not actually a lot known about them. We don't know what they eat, you know, it kind of goes back and forth, but um, a very cool phenomena to see. All right, and one more picture. This comes to us from Bennington. He thinks that this is yours, Cicada yeah. Killer, and he says good gardening and good day. So is yes. he right? He's absolutely right, great job. It is a Cicada Killer wasp, um, and because they're not aggressive, you can kind of just let it be if you can tolerate them. If you are like my neighbor, you can get out the wiffle ball bat or the salt gun and try to get rid of them that way. Probably not recommended. Um, otherwise, if you absolutely cannot stand them and want to get rid of them, you can try a dust insecticide directly into that hole. All right, thanks. Terry, uh, two pictures on the first one here. Uh, this comes to us from Omaha. What is this unwanted grass in her yard and how can it be treated? And I think we have, yep, there's the close up. So this is uh, not a grass, it's actually a sedge. This is yellow nut sedge. Um, we're really kind of past the real good treatment time. You need to actually treat this in your turf a little bit earlier in the season you would use uh, sulfentrazone to treat it, but what would I would suggest you do now for the coming, going into fall, is just keep mowing it. Don't let it go to seed um, because you there's these little nutlets. We've talked about it in the ground. Those are going to spread out a little bit, but don't if you let it go to seed, then you're going to have even more issues um, in the next year, and then you're going to have to treat it next spring or 
midsummer or right. before the longest before the longest day of the year. Okay, two picks on the next one. This comes to us from West Point. Lawn is showing yellowing. Do we think this is an iron deficiency? Well, it could be, but it could be lots of other things. It could actually be a nitrogen deficiency also. It could also be too wet or too dry. So I would really suggest getting down there and um, kind of investigating it. It could also be a compaction issue. So. You need to kind of see what your management practices are in that in your in your landscape, and um, you could potentially go ahead and do some aeration this fall and a little bit of overseeding. Um, I probably wouldn't recommend putting any kind of fertilizer down now; it's just really too hot. Okay, thanks, Terry. One pick on the first one for you, Dennis. This is Southwest uh, Omaha. And he's questioning, are owls known to insert their pellets into a wall? Why would they do it? And what did it eat? That's not an owl pellet. That is a dead bat. And the bat died in location. It looks like it was a Lazarus, a red bat. All the features, the fingers and everything are still articulated. So the bat got stuck in there or got in there and died. So that's the whole bat. And the death is just the bat. Okay, uh, second one comes to us from near Two Rivers Recreation. Came across this unknown thing in a hollow tree. It's about three inches in diameter, or in length. Yeah, so no vertebrate animal I know of would do something like that, or maybe a hobbit. Um, <laughs> but um, it's probably more of a fungal thing, and I know I'm sitting in the fungal seat today. I can feel it on my butt, but um, I, I couldn't tell you. That's it'd be more of a pathology fungus type thing. It, I, at first, I thought it might be a, a snail, but then I look closer, and it's no snail I know about, and I don't know mollusks that well as well. So I couldn't tell you what it is. Okay. Uh, then we have just a simple question here. Mm -hmm. This is somebody in the Dundee area. He has a kettle of five hawks living in his trees. Is it common for the five hawks to hang together? Probably if they're related, um, it, it could be five from one or two clutches or groups of eggs. So especially in an area where there's a lot of food, mice, um, you could have them hanging out together. And they'll spread out as necessary during mating season. Cool. All right. Sarah, um, we kind of missed this one last week. So your first picture is was sent to us from Scott. And... This is what, and just describe it real quickly because uh, we're kind of coming up on break. So the plant on the left is, has a condition called fasciation, which is, can be caused by a lot of different things, but it, for, it causes an abnormal formation of the stem. It's very flattened, and it has many, many buds for leaves and flowers, and that's why you're seeing this big cluster of flowers at the tip of the stem. And he counted 65. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, and second picture here is uh, last week. They listened to what you said about uh, tomatoes turning. He's wondering, is this true that Cherokee purple tomatoes will um, already have all the sugar they need as well? He's in Fremont. So what I said last week is when you start to see the first flush of color on a tomato, it has all the sugar and flavor components that it needs to, to develop and have a good flavor. And that's true for any tomato, modern, hybrid, uh, heirloom, I red, yellow, doesn't matter. All right, perfect. And one more, and this is a Hastings viewer. She's wondering what this plant is, and is it a flower? Is it a keeper? This looks like 
um, one of the species of flowering tobacco. So it could be considered a flower or a wildflower. All right, and it's a beautiful one. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Sarah. Well, you know, once again, our garden is putting on a show. The ornamentals are in full bloom and the produce is peaking thanks to this cooler weather, at least for a little while. Let's take a minute here to hear from Terry out in the backyard farmer garden. This week in the backyard farmer garden, still kind of in that holding mode of midsummer, so picking a lot of produce. Uh, almost 60 pounds last week, so more tomatoes coming up. And as most of you probably know, our tomatoes are really ripening very slowly because of all the heat and stuff. Hopefully this cool weather will speed them up a little bit, but nothing like a nice green fried tomato if you can't wait for those tomatoes to ripen. Don't forget, we also have Tuesday nights where you can bring your extra produce to the backyard farmer garden from 4.30 to 7. And we're just taking notes and looking at all of the gorgeous flowers that are blooming. We also are seeing a lot of pollinators, lots of bees and butterflies and such all over our flowers. So stop by the backyard farmer garden and check it out. Of course, right now, it is time for the lightning round. Sarah, you're in the hot seat. Mm -hmm. Your first question comes to us from North Platte. The leaves of his potatoes got fungus and died, but some of, the, some of them have new growth. Should he let the new growth go or just dig them up and eat them? I would dig up a couple of plants, see if the potatoes are a good size. And if they are, I would go ahead and harvest, not let them regrow. All right. Um, we have a Lincoln viewer who had a, cr a crab apple with a very large limb removed. And arborist said to go ahead and fill that hole with foam and uh, foam crack filler. Yes, no. No, never fill any kind of a cavity or gap in a tree with anything. Cement, foam, nothing. All right. We have a Utica viewer who had some trees removed, and he wants to know how close he can plant new trees uh, near that removed uh, tree stump. As long as the older trees didn't die from a soil-borne disease like verticillium wilt or fusarium wilt, then your only constriction is really the placement of the existing roots from the tree and where you can physically get a tree back in the ground. All right. Uh, this is a viewer who has a 10-year-old strawberry bed in Wahoo, and she's never fertilized. Should she? And if so, when? A 10-year-old strawberry bed is in bad need of renovation. So, yes, fertilizer is a component. Tilling of the comp is a component. Thinning out the mature plant. So sounds like it needs a, a redo. Exactly. All right. Thanks. Nice job. Okay, Dennis, you ready? You betcha. All right, our first viewer says, is dog fur and human hair effective for keeping animals away from the garden? Not very much. All right, we have a viewer saying they're seeing lots of bats at dusk flying around. Is it time to seal the opening still or should that not be happening? Yes, it's July, so you let them fly to July and now's the time to exclude them with one-way doors. Okay, we have a viewer who grows pumpkins and then she picks them and two hours later the squirrels have eaten them. How is there, how can you keep the squirrels from eating her pumpkins? Uh, put wire over them, mesh. All right, uh, we have a Bellevue viewer who says, what animal can drag a half-eaten chicken over two four-foot fences? It could actually be a mink or a weasel. Okay, uh, this is a Lincoln viewer who wants to know how to keep raccoons out of the garden. It's a tough one. Fence is the only way. 
All right, and we have a uh, viewer up in Nyabrera whose dog ate the leg of a live frog and then foamed at the mouth. Is that a poison frog? No, um, any mammal would foam at the mouth if they ate the thigh of uh, any amphibian. Okay. It's the mucus glands. <laughs> Thanks, Dennis. <laughs> All right, Terry, are you, are you ready? No. <laughs> <laughs> have to follow Dennis. <laughs> All right, uh, so this is, this is a good question with these projected 100 degree temperatures next week. Should people delay the fall fertilizer and or weed treatment or go ahead? Yes. Yes, delay? Yes, delay. Okay. Uh, this is a viewer who has the old fashioned ditch lilies and she's trying to get rid of them. They laughed at the roundup. How do you get rid of day lilies? Um, so if you want to really get rid of them, you can use Roundup, but weed eat them down and, and cut open that, that slick, um, the slick slickness of the leaves and then that, that chemical get down in there. All right, we have a Lincoln viewer who has wild onions. She wants to know whether, again, glyphosate will work or weed fabric with mulch over the top of it to smother. A weed fabric won't work. It'll, they'll come up through that. Same thing as the daylilies. They have that kind of waxy surface. So you need, to, you need to cut those open and get that chemical down inside that plant. All right. A uh, couple of viewers wonder, is it time to treat for wild violets or is it a little too early yet? Uh, it's probably a little too early. We're just too hot. So I would probably wait till maybe the first of September. All right. Nice job. Okay, Kate, rounding out the panel. Your first one comes to us uh, from Crete. There are tan-colored moths coming out of the grass. Are they, what are they? Should you get rid of them? Um, it depends. There are some moths that eat turf grass, but if you don't see damage, you can just leave them. All right. What are, this is a Lincoln viewer, what are the tiny black bugs that go straight for your eyes when you're outside? Tiny black bugs that go, um, a midge, a fly. Something. <laughs> Some tiny black bug. Some tiny black bug. Yeah. All right. Uh, we have a viewer who says uh, an arborist saw ant holes in a, the trunk of a crabapple trunk tree and wants to spray for them. Is that a good idea? Um, we don't recommend treating trees for ants. All right. Um, we have viewers wanting to bring in their house plants. Is there a soil drench that you can work for potential insects? Um, yes, but you need to make sure that the plant that you're going to be applying it to is on the label. All right. A couple people are wondering, should they spray their yard for mosquitoes since West Nile virus numbers are so high? I don't recommend it. Doing a larvicide is more effective. All right. Nice job, all. So it looks like, who won? Dennis. Dennis. Of course. Okay, Sarah, Plants of the Thank Week. <laughs> what do we have tonight? So this little purple flower down here in the front so one right here is called turtle head. And this is a cultivar called hot lips, um, which is a, a really great performer, beautiful color on the flowers. Um, the turtle heads like partial shade. They also like a little bit of extra moisture. So if you've got a place in the garden that, you know, tends to stay a little more moist, um, they'll do well. Once the plants are established though, they, they will tolerate some drought also. Um, so we have, there is a clump of these or several clumps of these in the Yider Garden just east of the dairy store and have been there for a long, long time. Then um, the, the flower, the taller flower here, this one right here, is one of our tall garden sedums. This is a cultivar called Autumn Fire and it's an updated version of Autumn Joy. Um, 
it, you know, lots and lots of little flowers. The tall garden sedums, when they're blooming, are just magnets for butterflies and moths and all sorts of pollinators. They'll just be covered with, with all sorts of insects um, eating the pollen. They really do their best in very hot, dry, sunny locations. Um, and um, so don't water them, don't fertilize them, just let them grow in kind of a lean soil, let them be dry, and they'll, they'll do their very best. Great, thanks, Sarah. All right, uh, Kate, first question here. This is a Carney viewer. Says the pumpkin patch was destroyed by squash vine borers. Found this leaf covered with what she thinks are future borers, but why are they all different colors? Um, so this is another squash pest. These are squash bug eggs, which are also pretty difficult to manage sometimes. Um, they're probably different colors. Maybe some have hatched. Maybe they were laying at different times. Um, but if you do find the eggs, best thing is, is to get rid of them, squish them. Same with the vine borer too. That early control is really key here. All right, one picture on the next one. Uh, what is going on with the leaves of these green beans? Um, so this is um, either spider mite or aphid damage. If you don't see any aphids, it's most likely going to be spider mites. They really like the hot weather. They thrive in that. Um, you can spray with a strong jet of water, you know, a lot. It's not a one and done. You're gonna have to stay on it. Otherwise, insecticidal soaps, but this seems like it's already got quite a bit of damage. So you might be past the point of treatment. All right, and <clears throat> excuse me, two pictures on the next one. Uh, this is a viewer who has morning glories, and then all of a sudden they're speckly and blotchy, and then I think one of these pictures, he's talking about sort of some browning in the stems on this. Yeah, so this could also be spider mites. Um, we could see aphids as well, especially with the leaf curling we see there, but you just have to uncurl the leaf and kind of take a closer look but I suspect spider mites are the cause of this too. All right, uh, Terry, one picture on this first one. Uh, this is an identification. It's a foot to a foot and a half foot tall, about two and a half feet wide at present. Is this valued or should it be rogued out? Uh, I would rogue this out. These are four o'clocks. Um, you can, <clears throat> uh, they will grow both from the root, they're perennial, and they do have lots of seeds, so rogue them out before they start flowering. All right, your second one uh, we've had before, This, but this is a beautiful picture. Pops up all over the flower bed. It's pretty, but is it a weed? Oh, I consider it a weed. It's day flower. Um, this one, you need to make sure that when you do rogue them out, um, you get the whole plant because it can root just from one little piece of the stem. It also will have lots of seeds. Uh, the seeds will sit in the ground for several years. So the best time to actually pull them out is when the soil is a little moist and they'll come out pretty easily for you. Right. Or just get that soil knife out. <laughs> Your second one, two uh, pictures. This is a Lincoln viewer. Buffalo grass in the cracks of a sidewalk and they're wondering would it be a good idea in between the flagstones on a patio? Sure that's what you want to do that would be fantastic uh, they have stolen or they have rhizomes just if you can get them to move and move them around and they should root very well all right thanks all right Dennis your first two pictures here are uh, critter digging holes where a large oak tree once was uh, what is it she's never had these holes in 30 years. Well, it's voles and they could be expanding their range. Plus, if there's a tree rotting, um, it gives them a better cavity. 
So in voles, the populations go really high and then go really low. And so it's, it's voles and you can trap voles and there are some toxin baits for voles. Make sure voles are on the label. All right, uh, two pictures on the next one as well. This is from Donovan. Any idea what has happened here? And it started on some lilies and then it started eating peonies and doing all sorts of things. This is also voles. <laughs> um, they are a granivore, but they will eat nice fleshy plant material as well. I can see by the little teeth marks, it's definitely voles. All right, thanks. Sarah, you have three pictures on the first one. This is a North Omaha viewer. That's your vole picture, by the way, Dennis. Yeah. So, okay, you have uh, three pictures on the next one, Sarah. It is a new property, North Omaha, a large mulberry tree, lots of sap seeping. Do they need to have an arborist assess it? And um, it is not close to the house. She did give us that. So this is a condition called bacterial wet wood, which is actually pretty common. We see it in trees pretty regularly, and it can um, affect almost any species of trees. Um, it's not really a huge, serious problem for the tree, though. Trees can live with this wet wood seepage for a long, long time. And the wet wood itself doesn't do anything to make the wood less strong. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, decay it or anything like that. So um, it, it's a situation of really just doing nothing. There's no reason that you would need to take this branch out or take the tree out just because of this infection. All right, nice. Uh, your second one and your next picture is a maple in Arlington. Now it gets yellow, any way to correct it. And I think your next two pictures are a Lincoln viewer that's also a maple with some yellow. So what do, we, what do we have going on here? So it does look like a nutrient deficiency. And given the fact that that underlying lawn is so green, I'm assuming that that homeowner must fertilize their lawn a few times a year. So it's probably not nitrogen. Um, it could be iron or manganese, uh, which are other common deficiencies that we see in maples. So there are several different ways you can go about treating this. So what I would encourage you to do is to Google uh, chlorosis of trees in eastern Nebraska. And there's a great publication from the Nebraska Forest Service that outlines all the different ways you can go about treating chlorosis. Um, the first one that comes to mind for a lot of people is trunk injections, but that is damaging to the tree. There are other ways you can go about treating it with sulfur applications to the soil or products that you put in the soil that the tree pulls up. So check out that publication and see which is the best uh, treatment method that you want to try for your tree. All right, thanks, Sarah. Well, we have another feature from our trip out to Western Nebraska, and this time we take a tour of a greenhouse that's designed to stay warm enough to grow tropical plants throughout the year. This is the Greener Gardens Greenhouse. It is a kit greenhouse from the Greenhouse in the Snow out of Alliance, Nebraska. It is a geothermal greenhouse that is built four feet into the ground and it utilizes passive solar heat in conjunction with the geo air system. The geothermal tubing system runs in a 250 foot loop four feet beneath the ground. Each tube is four foot in diameter and it's run with a 10 inch squirrel cage fan that sucks the air from inside of the greenhouse and pushes it through those tubes and when it, run, when it comes up, it comes up at a steady temperature of about 32 degrees. This is done by allowing that heat to run through the earth under our frost line. Um, we grow a lot of different things in here from tropical trees to tropical fruits. We have Valencia orange, mandarin orange, caracara orange, Meyer lemons, papaya trees, 
dragon fruit and passion fruit. We also have pomegranates in our front room, which is our cold room, and it's like a buffer between what our climate really is in winter and what the climate becomes in the growing room. This last winter was pretty cold, about a negative 35 degrees, and the lowest this front room got was 20 degrees Fahrenheit. And inside the growing room, the lowest temperature was about 40 degrees. We discovered a tropical root knot nematode. So it's not native to our soils or our climate. Um, it's frequently found in Florida or the more tropical to subtropical regions. So right now we're working on addressing that issue organically. We are preparing for an anaerobic soil disinfestation. Anaerobic soil disinfestation is similar to soil solarization. However, in the anaerobic soil disinfestation, you send the soil into a state of anaerobicity um, by incorporating high amounts of carbon source. The carbon source we will be using are wheat mids and molasses. It's then tarped and sealed with soil around the perimeter of the bed that will be planted in and we'll let that bed rest for about four to six weeks. Our goal is to encourage alternate and organic greenhouse growing methods. All of our produce and fruit is donated to local food pantries and we stand as a free resource to help troubleshoot any issues that other growers or greenhouse owners have and we try to do so as organically and economically as possible. So of course we always have announcements of cool stuff that is going to happen uh, in the state of Nebraska and I think our very first announcement tonight is us at uh, Grow a Row which is Tuesdays 437, we mentioned this before, Wonderful for the backyard farmer garden. Bring your produce, all those donations. It's just a fabulous thing to do. And we've already had the announcement about State Fair. And yes, indeed, please come join us. It'll be so much fun, 4.15 and then 5 p.m. the show begins. One more round of questions. Uh, Kate, this very first one is uh, one to pass along. Can you tell me what these bugs are and then do spider mites destroy the stalk? So what's going on on this sunflower? These are northern corn rootworm beetles. Um, so as their name suggests, they come from corn and it's pretty difficult to avoid in Nebraska. And even though the adults do sometimes feed and cause damage to the flower, we really don't recommend any insecticidal treatments here because we want to conserve pollinators. So if you can, try to bat them into some soapy water. Otherwise, that's probably your only option. All right, thanks, Kate. We actually had two or three people send us pictures of this guy. This one was under a grill cover in Sioux City, Iowa, apparently wanted to be a part of the stake. So what is this and are they common? This is um, a hermit beetle and it's one of our larger scarab beetles. It's definitely less common than a lot of the other scarabs we get like Japanese beetles or June bugs. And to me, they always show up in just the oddest of places. So I'm not surprised you found it on the grill, but um, they're very cool. They feed on decaying wood and other decaying organic matter. All right, uh, one more I believe for you, Kate. And he is curious about this unique creature. Is it a dragonfly? Is it good or is it bad? It is a dragonfly. It's a black saddlebags dragonfly. Um, and dragonflies are good, especially if you don't like mosquitoes um, because they are predators and mosquitoes is one of their favorite snacks. Oh, love it. All right. Uh, Terry, you have your first one here is 
a question about weeds requiring a pre-emergent in the fall and then it should not be applied when soils reaches uh, 55 degrees. They want to know when the pre-emergent should be applied, but then his real question here is what causes moss to grow in the cracks? So one of the reasons we recommend um, waiting until soil is a specific temperature in the spring is because we want for pre-emergent to work, that seed needs to start germinating. And that's when that crabgrass starts germinating, when that soil gets to be that specific temperature. So you don't need to really worry about it in the fall. Um, so this is moss. So this is what you can choose what you want to do with it. You can leave it in there. We actually have it in our courtyard in, in amongst some of um, the patio area on our courtyard and the birds come and kind of peck it out and then it grows back. But if you're gonna do a lot of walking and it's wet, then you might maybe consider getting rid of it. Um, the best way to get rid of it would be to kind of just uh, kind of change some of the management practices because that usually means that there's a little bit of too much water sitting there. All right, um, two pictures on the next one. This comes to us from Weston. He uh, thinks this is a uh, tropical tree, but we think it's not. Um, this is a honey locust, so most likely you probably have a honey locust somewhere. Your neighbor probably has it and it's just seeded itself. Um, cut it down and then use a stump killer to kind of paint it once you cut it. All right. Thanks, Terry. Dennis, the first one here comes to us from Brule uh, at Lake Mac, actually. So they noticed something moving on the tree in front of them when they were on the patio. This is amazing. <laughs> this is a azantic bull snake. Uh, I would give, oh, I can't pay for it, but I'd give $1,000 to have that <laughs> out of my own pocket. They, this is, I mean, I've only seen two other azantic bull snakes in the state of Nebraska, and they both were in the north east corner. Well, you are so lucky. <laughs> I'll buy you dinner. Um, oh, I'm just amazed. I can't, I can't speak anymore. <laughs> Neither can Terry because she hates snakes. Okay, so your second picture, Dennis, is uh, this hole here, and they think a bull snake has slithered up behind the siding. And then is this hole associated with that? No, this is a rodent hole. Okay. I can tell by the little seed pieces. Yeah. Okay, so rodents, and if a bull snake went up there, it was lost. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Sarah, uh, one picture on this first one. This comes to us from Sydney. He said he has uh, lots of damaged peppers. You can see the plants. This was hail damage, unfortunately. Uh, he wants to know, is there any precautionary measures he should take before doing anything with the peppers themselves? Normally, we would tell you not to preserve any fruits or vegetables that are damaged because the chances for pathogens or uh, you know problems <clears throat> of food safety could get into those wounded areas is high. Um, you know, that's so it's up to you. I mean, if you want to try to cut out the damaged sections and just work with the good parts of the pepper, um, I would use these peppers in something where you're going to have to cook it, where there's going to be a kill step. All right. And then we have a what's wrong with the hostas? Is it environmental? Probably that looks like that leaf scorch on that yeah. plant. And the second plant, I can't tell if this is hosta virus X. I would send a sample of it to Kyle and let him diagnose. Excellent. Thanks, Sarah.